Welcome to Out of Order, a German Marshall Fund podcast where we discuss how the world was, is, and will be ordered. This is a special Berlin Thanksgiving episode. I'm Rachel Tausenfreund, editorial director of GMF, and my colleagues in D.C. are busy brining turkeys or flying to North Carolina, so I've taken over here in Berlin, which also means we're not in our normal studio, so it might sound a little less polished than normal. I've grabbed two experts here in Berlin, pulled them into our makeshift studio with me, to initiate them in the rituals of Thanksgiving. Sadly, no turkey, but thankfulness. So we all know there are lots of reasons for doom and gloom in today's political world. But if you try hard enough, you can see some positive things. At least that's what we're trying to do today. So I'd like to introduce my two colleagues, Marina Rockley, who works uh, with us on supporting civil society in Belarus. And before she joined us was a journalist in Minsk. And Jan Techau, who's been on the podcast, I think, twice before. He's the director of the Europe program uh, based also here in Berlin. So, Marina, let's start with you. Uh, what did you bring to talk about today? What gives me hope is this recent story from Russia, where a very famous and very critical independent weekly, The New Times, started a crowdfunding campaign to pay an enormous fine. And within three days, they managed to raise not just the amount, it's more than $300,000, but even more. Even, I mean, if you uh, hear the sums in Russian, it's, uh, the fine was uh, 22 million rubles and they managed to raise uh, 25 million rubles. They had to pay the, the fine because they, the newspaper failed to report uh, about the funding they received from an organization that has uh, already officially been labeled as a foreign agent. And uh, I mean, being for foreign agent actually means that you're funded from abroad. And uh, this newspaper didn't report about $300,000 that they received from this organization. That's an unprecedented fine, unprecedented uh, signal of uh, solidarity that came back from the readership. And uh, it was very quick as well. A question about that. So first of all, these, these were Russians, like only Russians who uh, contributed to this fund fundraising, crowd fundraising campaign? There hasn't been information about that. It's only that the newspaper said that they managed to collect even more than the fine is. But this is basically the, the uh, first case ever in Russia that a newspaper had to pay fine as it failed to uh, report about the funding from abroad. So I guess this time this money should be Russian. Um, and this is... The, the fine you're talking about is this foreign agent sort of bill that was passed in Russia. And the idea is it's supposed to make it harder for NGOs that have foreign support to function. Is, it, is that the law you're talking about? Yes, this is this foreign agents law. And uh, basically, it's all about stating it's it everywhere that you are a foreign agent because you uh, have funds from abroad or from foreign individuals. And the organization that gave $300,000 uh, to the New Times was the organization that has already been labeled as the foreign agent. Okay, cool. Jan, what did you 
want to talk about today. Thanks, Rachel. And uh, thanks for asking a question that forces us to think about the lighter side of this business, which is not usually what we do. As think tankers, we can never lose money by delivering doom and gloom. And so I was really hard-pressed to think about a few things. But then, you know, actually you find a few. Um, I was thankful for an experience that I made last week. Um, I was on a lecture tour in the U.S., uh, traveling the U.S. pretty much, you know, crisscrossing the entire North American continent, you know, from Seattle to Phoenix to Atlanta and then to Chicago, speaking in each of these towns. Um, and the impression that I took away from this uh, is uh, one that, you know, is kind of at odds with the usual perception of U.S. politics over here in Europe. And that is, you know, my impression was, yeah, this is a very lively democracy indeed. You know, it is a democracy where... Um, you know, people will not have their voices hushed. This is, you know, where, you know, the, the grassroots people, people at the base are interested, go to, out to vote, you know, watch these things very clearly, have sophisticated opinions. You know, this is not the kind of dumbed down version of politics that we you know, usually get over here where all we see is Trump and then very little else. You know, so to be there and to see this and experience this, uh, you know, I kind of knew that all along, but to see it happening and to see, you know, from undergrad students to senior citizens, people, you know, being engaged in these kinds of things, referring back to the midterms that had just happened, you know, that kind of lifted my spirits because you don't always agree with everything they say, but the point is that they're there. And this is not a country that kind of sleepwalks into some sort of weird democratic disaster. Jan, would you say it's a new trend or it has already been there before? It's just that this is something that we tend to forget. I think we generally tend to forget this. Um, I mean, as, as everybody, you know, when you look at another country's politics, what you see usually is just the tip of the iceberg. You see a president or a chancellor or a prime minister. And, you know, already what happens in their parliaments is something that you don't know. So we tend to forget these things. But, you know, in this case, it was going even beyond this because, you know, it was this was about the grassroots. This was about regular people out there that you meet and discuss politics, present to them Uh, you know, your thoughts and then get into this dis discussion. And you see the level of engagedness. And, uh, and, you know, as I said, while I kind of knew that already before, uh, it's good to see it in action. And, and that, you know, reconciles you slightly with the universe, I guess, when you see it happening on the ground. That's great. Thanks, Jan. Actually, um, that's a sort of perfect segue to the thing I'm thankful for heading into Thanksgiving. So we had the midterms at the beginning of the month. And there were actually a few things, I think, that you could watch and, and think positively about. The turnout uh, was historic. The highest midterm turnout since 1914. That's pretty crazy. I mean, it's still only 50%, so you can talk about that, but historic turnout. But there's a, another specific aspect that I wanted to point to because I think, especially outside of the United States, it's getting a little less attention. And it was an issue in Michigan, which is where I'm from and where I vote. And that is gerrymandering initiatives or let's say, anti-gerrymandering initiatives, and they did really well in the midterm election. So Michigan, Missouri, Colorado, they had ballot measures that passed with huge margins. Utah also passed an anti-gerrymandering law with a slightly smaller margin, but it passed. And Ohio, earlier in the year, um, had passed legislation. And if you think about these states, Michigan, Missouri, Colorado, Ohio, these are interesting states for elections. So in the short term, this is a win for the Democrats because... Uh, After the 2010 census, Republicans were in charge in many state houses. And after the census is when you redraw the maps. So the, the Republicans drew the maps in a way that was very favorable to them. So they sort of concentrated all the Democratic vote in just a couple places 
and then drew the districts to really scatter the Democratic vote in, in all of the other districts, giving them a, you know, a pretty big margin. The old maps will still be in place for 2020, but still looking ahead, this, this is a very positive sign. I think it's also a positive sign in terms of voters. So what you see there is that the voters themselves want a fairer political system. They don't want this kind of polarization and seats that are sort of guaranteed Republican or guaranteed um, Democratic, which I think is a positive sign in, in this issue. And then, I mean, on top of it, in Michigan, at least, it started out as a kind of Facebook comment made right after the 2016 election by, by a woman in Michigan, Katie Faye is her name. And then from that, this volunteer effort started. They collected 315,000 signatures in order to put it on the ballot. And they did it. And then it became a kind of national campaign. So I think sort of everything about this is really quite positive. And it's also important. Uh, I mean, really gerrymandering is quite important. And you saw that again in this election, because if you look at Pennsylvania, which had a gerrymandered, had a pretty gerrymandered system to benefit the Republicans, and that was sort of thrown out before the elections. And they redrew the map then before the elections. And they flipped five seats, I believe, turned from Republican to Democrat with the new map. In North Carolina, there was a similar uh, court case. And again, there the map was also deemed to be unconstitutional because it didn't give fair representation. And um, But they didn't have time or they chose not to have time to uh, redraw the map before the election. 50% of the vote went for the Democrats, but that gave them three out of 13 seats, right? So this is a, a huge misrepresentation of the vote. So um, the success of anti-gerrymandering measures in this election, I think we can be all very thankful for. Marina, I think you have another one. Yes, I do have another one. That's again, I cannot speak of uh, the gratitude or being thankful to anyone for this, but that really gives me hope that last month, uh, it will sound a little bit dramatic, I think, but last month, the uh, patriarchate uh, of uh, Constantinople uh, granted, well, basically officially endorsed uh, Ukrainian request to create an independent church. Um, historically, Ukraine had its own independent church. It was uh, under the jurisdiction of Constantinople until the, the end of 17th century. But then, as soon as uh, uh, Ukraine was uh, um, annexed by the Russian Empire, its church became also part of the uh, Russian Orthodox Church. And this is a historical uh, event that all the uh, smaller uh, independent churches that were founded in Ukraine at the beginning of uh, 1990s with uh, Ukraine regaining independence will now have a chance to unite basically into a single Ukrainian Orthodox Church. Russia is, of course, offended. Within the next days, they the clergy... Uh, assembled in Minsk, which I guess is also a sign because Belarus doesn't have uh, an independent church and is not even trying to create one, and uh, uh, served all ties with Constantinople because they see this ruling as a uh, historic uh, split, and in their uh, in their view, it's as historic as the split into Western and Eastern. Uh, 
Christianity, which I think is difficult to compare, but still. And um, this gives me hope that uh, the influence of uh, Russia on the territory of Ukraine will uh, be, will become less. And uh, um, that Orthodox faithful will also have a chance to decide on the church that they would like to join because the Ukrainian church was not, um, I mean, it was, of course, legal, but not official, so to say, not the officially independent church. So this is clearly important culturally, um, and I don't know enough about the Russian Orthodox Church to know how how important are they politically? Is this is this um, sort of if I think about the Catholic Church in Poland during the Soviet Union, for example, there it had a, a strong cultural role, but also a strong political role. Um, does the Russian Orthodox Church and now the existence of its own Ukrainian does it have political dimensions, or is it first and foremost just a kind of big cultural step? I would say that probably roughly one third of the Ukrainian population is religious, so that they uh, regularly go to church. But the division between the two Orthodox churches, the Moscow uh, Patriarchate and the Kiev Patriarchate, was very visible because the Ukrainian um, priests would join revolutions and demonstrations and endorse them. And, for example, the official position of the um, Russian Orthodox Church in Ukraine uh, on uh, the annexation of Crimea was that, uh, well, yes, this is still the territory of Ukraine, but let's not uh, protest and just accept it that it's um, now seen in Russia as being part of the Russian Federation. That's more of a political move than a religious move, especially that the rights of the two churches are basically the same. Jan, in your first point, you talked about the U.S. For uh, most Americans, they would assume that things in Germany are looking a lot better than things in the U.S. So don't you have all kinds of things to be thankful for about German politics since it's so well-functioning and stable at the moment? Yeah, of course, the closer you are to a phenomenon, the more you see the warts and the, and, and, <clears throat> and the wrinkles. It's not abundant joy that is coming from the German political scene. But there's indeed one domestic issue that I wanted to raise here on, on our edition today. Um, and, uh, and you know, it, it's even more weird to talk about thankfulness in this context. But, you know, because when, when something positive comes out of politics, then, of course, you're not really personally affected. And Thanksgiving, of course, is a very, you know, personal way of saying thank you <clears throat> for the riches of the earth. And in this case, it's more abstract, but it's, it, again, a sign of, of political change, you know, timid change, but at least change. Uh, we are in the midst of the budget season here in Germany. And that's, of course, pants down season. Everybody really needs to finally decide what they want to commit for. Instead of just speeches, it's now about numbers. So the real commitments become clear and the real goals and, and where the juice is. Um, and we've seen the second round of the negotiations in the Bundestag uh, before the final vote in, uh, you know, next week. Um, and one of the numbers that has gone up slightly from the original provision is the defense budget. Um, and that is a huge issue in this country, and it's hugely disputed, you know, whether the kind of increase in defense is actually needed at all, and if so, to what extent. Uh, and the Germans are historically quite timid here, and, uh, and, and this government uh, hasn't really, you know, moved massively on it, but it has moved. 
And so there was a slightly unexpected, you know, final push for a little bit more money that was in the original draft. Um, and this will be earmarked for the most part, uh, you know, as I have heard, for, um, for shipbuilding. Uh, the German Navy, as you have to know, as background is in pretty abysmal shape. Uh, it's not really operational at a larger scale, and it needs these kinds of investments pretty direly. And then at, at, a, at a time where global order is under challenge, and whether, you know, those Western countries that actually ha are invested in the multilateral order and in, in, and in enforcing the rules of, of multilateral um, global po uh, policymaking, these countries need to have the muscle to reinforce their positions. And if Germany decides to make a medium to long-term investment in its navy and the numbers go slightly up, that's good news. I've been arguing, you know, as a defense person, I've been arguing for these kinds of increases for quite some time. Um, but it's, you know, as always in politics, it takes time for this to sink in and to turn into action. But now at least we see a little bit. Now, is, is this where we should be? No. You know, this is still falling short, but at least, you know, um, when they had a little bit of space to move, they decided to make defense part of that space. And that, for me, is a good sign. Okay, that, that does sound like a good sign. That'll make the friends on the Thanksgiving side of the Atlantic happy as they start the holiday. So I want to thank Marina and Jan for uh, joining me on this uh, somewhat spontaneous Thanksgiving podcast. And I want to wish everyone in this room and listening, happy Thanksgiving. Thanks for listening to Out of Order, a German Marshall Fund podcast. Out of Order is produced by Sydney Simon and Zachary Tarrant. New episodes will be available every other Thursday. Subscribe and download on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever else you get your podcasts.